Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. First Corinthians chapter 9, we'll be looking at verses 24 to 27. <clears throat> Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for for allowing us to open up your word again. Father, we ask that you would help us, help me to to preach your word in a way that is pleasing to you and and help us all to learn from this text. and, And we ask for the Spirit's help to apply this text to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've talked before about the, the idea of a mission statement in the business world. For example, um, you see a company who doesn't have a defined mission and, and it creates confusion and chaos. We don't know what to do. And then there's this, this beautiful thing about a mission statement. If the question comes up, what should we do, we refer back to the mission statement and say, is this in line with our mission? Because this tells us what to focus on. It tells us what to pursue, what not to do. And then as I was studying business, I came across something by, by Dave Ramsey once. And he talked about not just a, a, a business mission statement, but a personal mission statement. So that you're asking the question, what, what is my mission in life? Because here's what happens when, when you don't think that way. You, you, you tend to just coast on with, without much purpose. Should I make this decision or that decision? I don't know. Does it, does it really matter? I don't know where I'm going, so I guess it doesn't matter which decision I make. And so a person is kind of going in circles, not, not knowing what to do. And, and by doing this, a person is not making much progress towards anything. And, and many of us, can have a tendency to be like this with our Christian life. Just kind of coasting along with, without much purpose, without much direction. And so this is what, what Paul, in essence, is dealing with here in our text. And so we look first here at the necessity to run. He says in verse 24, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. This seems like a very random question. He's talking about different things, and all of a sudden he asks about a race. 
But understanding this question helps us understand the context here. He, he asks a rhetorical question here to make a point. In some of the previous verses, Paul has been explaining how devoted he is to his work as an apostle and in the sacrifices he makes for his work. For example, we could go to verse 12 and he says, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. So he's talking about rights him and Barnabas has. And he says, Nevertheless, I have not made use of this right, but we endure anything, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. He's, he's a sacrificial man. Then in verses 14 and 15, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. So we think it was Paul's custom that perhaps when he went to a, a virgin territory, that, that he, he would not take funds from them because he did not want anything to be a hindrance to the gospel. And so he's telling them, we, we had the right to live from the gospel, and, and we haven't done this. We haven't taken anything from you, although we would be right to. But, but we haven't done this because we don't want it to hinder the gospel. And then he, he goes on, for, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I have become as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law. Not being without law toward God but under law toward Christ. That I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak. That I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be partaker of it with you. Paul says, I have rights, yet I've made myself a servant. It would be right for me to, to take compensation, but I won't from you. He says, him and Barnabas have the right to take a believing wife, and they didn't. And he does this for, for the sake of the gospel. So, so he's willing to lay down rights and Christian liberties here for the sake of the gospel. And this meant not only was he willing to sacrifice in order to share the gospel, but he was also willing to live in his life in such a way that it would not hinder the gospel and that it would actually promote the gospel. And Paul describes what seems to be extreme for many Christians. How many of us live with this type of sacrifice? When is the last time you've said, I'm going to sacrifice this for the sake of the gospel? But this is how Paul lives his life. But many of us, as, as, as they, these Corinthian believers, would have had the tendency to think, I'm glad I don't have to do that because I'm not an apostle. Paul, you had a hard, sacrificial life as an apostle, thank God there's no more apostles. But, but is this what Paul was saying? Is what Paul described here simply his spectacular life because he was called to be an apostle? Did you notice what he said in verse 23? Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. Cal Calvin said as the Corinthians 
might think with themselves that this was a peculiarity in Paul's case on the ground of his office, he argues from the very design of it that this is common to all Christians. For when he declares that his aim had been that he might become a partaker of the gospel, he indirectly intimates that all who do not act the same part with him are unworthy of the fellowship of the gospel. So in other words, this was Paul's expectation. That that Christians live with purpose and with zeal. And that they live in, in such a way as not to hinder the gospel. And that they be even willing to make personal sacrifices for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ. So when Paul talks about how he lived sacrificially for the sake of the gospel, he was giving us all a, a, an example to follow. And again, this does not mean that we, we all leave our homes and become missionaries, but it does mean live for Christ, and we live for the sake of the gospel wherever we are. Paul is really getting at the essence of the Christian life, that we are to live for the sake of Christ. We are to seek to grow in our knowledge of Christ. We are to seek to grow in conformity to the image of Christ. We are to seek to, 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 to work with excellence for Christ, to raise our kids for Christ to tell others about Christ, or as Paul said elsewhere, to live is Christ. And we should be so committed to this that that, that we are even willing to sacrifice, if needs be, in order to live for Christ. But sacrifice is not something that is normal to selfish people. And the average person would, would ask one, why would one be devoted to something like this? Why would Paul live this way? Paul only had one life to live. Why would he live it without a believing wife? Paul had one life to live. Why would he, why would he not take finances from, from, a, from a church in order to, to not hinder the gospel? What is he thinking by doing this? He only had one short life. And Paul answers this question, why he lives with such purpose, by asking a rhetorical question. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? And Paul is writing to people who know about races. In Corinth, they had the Olympics and the Ithmian Games, just as popular as the Olympics today, a very big thing in Paul's day. And so he's writing to Christians who who understand the, the concept of a race. So he asks a question with with a very obvious answer in order to set the stage for what he's about to say. Well, we all understand the concept of a race, don't we? There are many people running. And if you're not a millennial, only one person wins. I'm I'm a millennial, so I can say that. The, The concept is that you are competing against one another. You're all running, but one person is going to win the gold. And with this in mind, Paul says, run in such a way that you may obtain it. So each and every one of you here today, you know this, right? You, you understand that in a race, everyone is going to run, but there's only one winner, correct? Everyone got that, right? Run 
to win. This is what Paul is saying. The Christian life is like a race, and we are to run as those who are actually seeking to win the prize. We are not to run as those who are running to obtain a participation trophy, but actually those who are seeking to win. This is an interesting concept. Once again, in the business world, there's this this thing of keeping score, they call it. It's amazing what happens when, when, when you begin keeping score with things. And so some people apply this to the business world by, by looking just at people playing recreational sports, for example. If you're not keeping score, everyone is kind of silly and nobody is playing hard. But the moment you start keeping score, people start trying to win. And, and the competition steps up. And, and so it is in the business world. If, you, if you're trying to increase your production and, and you're not keeping track of, of what your production is, it never increases. But, but there's this concept that what gets tracked gets improved. So, so you say you need to make five of these per week and you set that as a goal and all of a sudden people start hitting it. And then you change it to six. And all of a sudden, people start hitting it. Why? Because there's an objective there. And they're trying to win. They're trying to accomplish that objective. Paul says that the Christian life is a race. And, and there is a, there's a prize. And you need to try to, to run in such a way as to actually obtain that prize. Not that one who is just lackadaisical, but one who is actually seeking to win. And so in what way, then, is the Christian life like a race? Well, I think there are many similarities. Some we can find here and some we can add to it. So, so, so number one, in a race, the runners have a sense of urgency. They run with zeal. This is obvious by the, the meaning of the word Run. John Gill said the act of running is a motion forward, a pressing forward toward the mark for the prize, and requires spiritual strength from Christ and a daily renewal of it. It is to be performed with readiness, swiftness, and cheerfulness in opposition to a slowness of heart to believe and a slothfulness and sluggishness in the business and service of Christ. The Christian should not be a a spiritual sluggard, lazy. The the Christian should not walk around dragging his feet with no zeal. This is not running. This is is coasting along. We we all have been given a set number of, of days on earth, and we should be running to make good use of that time, running to do the work that God has called us to do here on earth. There should be zeal. There should be a sense of urgency in what we are doing. But secondly, in a race, you must not only start well, but you must finish well. MacArthur says many believers start the Christian life with much enthusiasm and devotion. They, they train carefully for a while, but, but soon tire of the effort and begin to break training. Before long, they are disqualified from being effective witnesses. They do not have what it takes because they are unwilling to pay the price. The flesh, the world, everyday affairs, personal interests, and often simple laziness hinder spiritual growth and preparation for service. We can't just start. 
with enthusiasm and then quit. That, that does not work in a race. You, you can't say, well, did you see that wonderful race? I started so well, didn't I? Yeah, you did, but you lost. You stopped. You quit halfway through. This means we should not be losing our, our, our zeal and our sense of urgency over time. It, it should rather increase. You don't finish a race slow. You, you, you sprint at the end. You give it all that you have. And as you get older, your, your zeal may be manifested in different ways, but it should not decrease. We often say this, that yeah, when, you're first, you know, when you first become a Christian, you have great zeal for Christ. But then once you mature a little bit, that'll go away. What? So so you mean to tell me the more I learn about my Savior, the more I learn about God, the deeper my understanding, the less my zeal should become? That makes zero sense. That's not running the race well. That's not running to finish. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. We ought to be, we ought to go to our grave serving the Lord with zeal. And even though our bodies are, are perishing and eventually they will begin to, to rotten away, we should be renewed inwardly day by day, learning to, to love Christ more, to love God more, seeking to follow Him more, more conformed to the image of Christ. But as the runner gets closer to the finish line, what happens sometimes? He's sprinting. He's giving it everything that he has, but he is moving slower than he was when he started. So it is with the Christian life. Your body begins to slow down and your your mind begins to to slow down as as you get older, but, but inwardly you should be sprinting towards the finish line. Not, well, I'm, I guess I'm mostly dead now, so I better just stop. I might as well start preparing for the grave now because I could die tomorrow or the next 20 years. But, but if it's not 20 years from now, I'll just waste those 20 years. We, we must be sprinting towards the finish line. Obviously, we can't do the same things as we get older and we can't live the same way. We can't serve in the same way, but are, are we sprinting toward the finish line or have we quit? Calvin said, many descend into the arena, but he alone is crowned who has first reached the goal. So there's no reason why anyone should feel satisfied with himself on the ground of his having once entered upon the race prescribed in the gospel, unless he perseveres in it until death. We just talked about this earlier. How many start the race or appear to start the race and then they don't finish. They, they quit. They give up. This Christian life is, is too hard. The sin is so much more attractive. They, they stop racing. They, they go off track. Or towards the end, just, just give up. 
Don't just be satisfied because you've, you've ran the race thus far. Sprint to the finish line. We need to finish well. But thirdly, in a race, there are opponents. In a physical race, you run against other runners. But in the Christian life, we're not racing against other Christians, but, but we do have opponents. We have three opponents. What are those three opponents? The world, the flesh, and the devil. And you better believe these are actual opponents. These three things will fight against you finishing the race. They will fight against you running with zeal. They, they will fight to get you off track. You need to, to recognize these things as opponents. I want you to think for a minute yourself. What sort of things get us off track? What, what sort of things in your life cause you to stop being zealous for Christ? What, what sort of things in your, in your life hinders your walk with Christ? Mo, most of us know those things, and we know that, that we should keep ourselves away from those things, even though we don't always do so. But we know, if I start listening to this, if I start watching this sort of thing, if I start doing this, if I start hanging out with this sort of person, I begin to lose my zeal. I begin to lose my interest in Christ. We need to label those things as opponents. And fight them. And run away from them. These things should not be embraced by us. These things are hindrances. They will weigh you down in the race. That they will cause you to, to go off track. They will get in your way. Recognize these things as opponents. And fourthly, to win a race, we must be disciplined. Listen to verse 25. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. A racer must be disciplined. And self-controlled in everything that he does, he recognizes that, that all things affect his speed and his stamina. So, so he's disciplined in his diet, and he's, he's disciplined in his training, he's disciplined in his sleep, he's disciplined in learning better ways to run, and, and he's disciplined in every way you can imagine, recognizing that, that all of these things matter to the race. Running to win requires control and sacrifice. And this is true for the Christian life as well. We must be disciplined in all things. And whereas in a physical race, most of the training is physical and some mental, but in the race of the Christian life, the, the emphasis is placed upon godliness. What does Paul say to Timothy? For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. Exercise yourself unto godliness. We need to be disciplined in our reading of Scripture. Disciplined in our prayer life. Disciplined in meditating upon the Scriptures. Disciplined in using the means of grace given to us. Disciplined in, in meeting together for church. Disciplined in sitting under the Word of God preached. Disciplined in, in, in leading our families. Disciplined in all things that we've been given to do. Do we recognize this? That this is very different than the person who's just coasting along. We must be disciplined 
and mortifying sin, mortifying our flesh. Do you begin to see how much of a difference this makes in a person's life? If I'm not running a race, I don't need discipline. But if I'm told to run away a race as, as one who intends to win, then what do I need to do? I need to be disciplined in every element of my life. I'm leaving nothing up to chance. But, but I'm looking at, at every area of my life and saying, how does this affect me? I need to be disciplined in this area. I need to know what to do in this area. And I need to make sure that I do it. But Why? Would a person be so disciplined? What, what would cause a person to, to, to be disciplined in every area of life? What type of motivation would a person have for doing that? Why, why does an athlete dedicate their lives to, to, to being disciplined? Fifthly, to run a race, you must have motivation. What, what is the motivation for being disciplined in this way? Verse 25, now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Ken Ken and I were just laughing about this. These Olympian and Isthmian athletes dedicating their life for what? For a crown made out of twigs. A wreath. A wreath that's placed upon your head that that will wither just as fast as your fame. And it's not much different today, is it? I love what I heard Paul Washer say many years ago. He's talking about Olympian athletes. And he says, how majestic are these Olympian athletes, but only for a while. And they start training when they're four and five-year-olds. And they do nothing but train until the age of 22 for a nine-second race for a medal they hang up. And that's it. This cannot be compared to eternal things. But this is their motivation. But but here's the point Paul is making. If people can be that disciplined for some twigs tied together and set on your head, how much more should we be, be disciplined for an imperishable crown? This is something that has convicted me greatly in my life. I can look back on my youth and, and think of how I, I made sports an idol. And that's all I, I thought about. And I can remember being in the weight room and, and, and your legs, they're, they're burning. You don't think you can do another a rep, but, but what do you do? You, I, I'm looking at the wall and I'm imagining the prize there and it makes me push out another rep and then another rep and another rep for what? Something perishable. But then you come to Christ. And you become a sluggard. I think it was Spurgeon who said, Men have great zeal when they are serving themselves are their idols. Men have great zeal when they are serving Satan. But, but don't have great zeal when you are serving yourself and serving Satan. And then come to Christ and give him your worst. What is that? But that's what we do, isn't it? Oh, I was so disciplined when I was an athlete. But, but now as a Christian, can I discipline myself in that way in the Word of God? Can I discipline myself in that way in prayer? 
Are these things not greater motivations? Is, is the life of godliness not a greater motivation? Is an imperishable crown not a greater motivation than a gold medal that gets hung up? I can remember John MacArthur boasting about his, he, he was talking about how he, how he um, played football and he, he broke a record in his small college that he went to as a, as a running back and, and he, he talked about how he boasted about breaking the record. And then he went back to the school years later and the school was shut down. There's nobody there. No, nobody to see that record in the gymnasium. It didn't, it didn't matter anymore. He worked so hard for that. And no one will ever know. How much more should we be disciplined in our life running not for gold medals, running not for a wreath that perishes, but running for an incorruptible inheritance, running for, for the crown of life, which is imperishable. And not only that, but, but, our, but our motivation is greater than, than, than the racer's motivation because guess what? If you know as a runner that you're slow, if you know that you can only run a six-minute mile and you're about to race a person who runs a four-minute mile, you've lost. You know it. There's no point of me running. I have no motivation to run. And the coach says, go and run anyways. And you're like, why? I'm going to lose. But, but this is not the case in the Christian life. It would be discouraging to a, to a runner to know there is only one winner and, and he is not fast enough to receive the reward. But in the Christian life, if you run to the end, you will be rewarded. No Christian who is running the Christian race is running in vain. Yeah, but this person produces a hundredfold fruit and I only produce twenty. But, but look, at all the, all, look at all the things that this person is doing. They, they're running in a way that I could never run. Listen, God gives us all different responsibilities, different gifting. Look, look at the, the parables. He gave some, one person, five talents. One person, one talent. Their responsibility was to be faithful with that. Not to worry about how much more this person has or, or how much more this person is doing, but to be faithful with what he had given them. And this is what we should be doing. Not, not worrying about, well, we're not producing the fruit that that person is producing. Uh, we, we can't serve the way that person is serving. We need to be faithful in the race, understanding that, that we are not running in vain if we finish the race well. And no Christian who is faithful to the end will be cast out. No Christian who is faithful to the end will be told, sorry, you lost, you don't get a crown. James says those who persevere receive the crown of life. And so Paul sets himself up as an example of what we ought to do in light of these things. So, so we have three main points before us that we are to run the Christian race of those who intend to win, that racers must be disciplined in all things, and we are to run for an imperishable crown. How then do we, do we work and live in light of this? How do we run the race in light of this? What do we do? Paul says, therefore, so, so here's the, the, the therefore, in light of all of those things I've said, therefore, I run thus. 
This is how I run in light of those things. I run with uncertainty. Uncertainty means showing lack of certainty or goal. The ESV translates this as aimlessly. Because Paul is in a race, he does not run aimlessly, as though he has no mission or goal in life. He, he, he is not just coasting through life without purpose. He is on a mission. He's on a mission. Because he must run to win. Because he must be disciplined. Because he's running for a crown. He doesn't just run around aimlessly in a circle. But he runs with purpose. He runs with a goal in mind. He's mission driven. He's not just coasting through life. Seeing where the waves will, will throw him. But he runs with purpose. And not only that, but he goes on, verse 26. Thus I fight. So not only do I, do I live with purpose, but I, but I fight. And he says, not as one who beats the air. Once again, Paul understands that, that he is to, to run to win the prize. And he must be disciplined. And he, and he is running for a crown. He, he, he does not fight as one who beats the air. What does that mean? Today we would call that shadow boxing. He's not actually punching anybody. He's just, he's just punching in the air. He's saying, I don't do that. I don't waste my time hitting an imaginary person, an imaginary enemy. I'm actually engaged in the battle. I'm actually fighting, not as a shadow boxer. Paul is saying he understands there is a real enemy there. There's a real, there's a real opponent in his race. And so he's fighting a real fight. He, he's not just punching the air. And listen to me, if we are going to be faithful... One of the greatest battles we have to fight in the Christian race is the flesh. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? It's weak. It doesn't want to do it. You have such great plans and, and, and you create these elaborate plans of what you're going to do and, and how you're going to grow in your faith and you're going to read a thousand books this year and you're going to listen to 10,000 sermons this year and your flesh says, uh-uh. Not going to happen. The flesh is weak. Paul was a man. He, he recognized his weak flesh. So he says, because I need to run in this way, I'm not, I'm not shadow boxing. I, I'm actually fighting. Well, what is he fighting? He says, but I discipline my body. And I bring it into subjection. I discipline my body. In the Greek, this actually means to hit under the eye. To hit under the eye. This is what this means. I punch my flesh in the eye. This is essentially what he's saying. I'm not, I'm not shadow boxing because, because I'm involved in an actual race that I'm going to win and that I, I know I need to be disciplined. I'm running for the crown. I, I'm not going to shadow box. I'm actually going to use my fist to punch my flesh in the eye. My, my flesh says, no, you're not doing it, and I, and I punch it in the eye. I fight it. He doesn't pamper his flesh. He strikes it. Or in the words of Christ, cut off and pluck out. 
obeying your flesh is, is the surest way to lose zeal and urgency for Christ. It is one of the, the quickest ways to become an apathetic Christian. What do we learn earlier about giving in to the temptation to sin? This takes us off course. We must fight the flesh. Listen, even in a physical race, if, if, you, if you ever ran before, you, you're running and, and your flesh says, stop, it, it burns, it hurts, don't go any farther. And if you're a disciplined athlete, what do you say? You tell your flesh to shut up and you keep going. You don't listen to the flesh at all. You're training and your flesh says stop, that hurts. And you say, yes, I know it hurts, but it needs to hurt because that means I'm growing. So, so you tell your flesh to be quiet. You punch it in the eye. This is what we must do spiritually. The flesh says, give in to this temptation. The flesh says, don't be disciplined towards godliness. And you tell your flesh to be quiet and you punch it in the eye, as it were. You strike the flesh. And Paul says, I bring it into subjection. This literally means I make it my slave. He says, my flesh, my body... It's going to be my slave. Not not only do I punch it in the eye, but I make it my slave. In other words, his body is going to work for him. His flesh is going to work for him, not the other way around. Listen to what MacArthur says here. Most people, including many Christians, are, are instead slaves to their bodies. Their bodies tell their minds what to do. Their bodies decide when to eat, what to eat, how much to eat, when to sleep, and get up, and so on. An athlete cannot allow that. He follows the training rules, not his body. He runs when he would rather be resting. He eats a balanced meal when when he would rather have a chocolate sundae. He goes to bed when he would rather stay up. He, He gets up early to train when he would rather stay in bed. An athlete leads his body. He does not follow it. It is his slave. Not the other way around. If we want to run with zeal, We must make our bodies, our minds, obey us. Our bodies and our minds will say, say, no, you're not getting up early enough to read your word before work. No, you're not going to spend time in prayer. No, you're not going to do that. Listen, if we are slaves to our body, our body says sleep longer. You don't have to pray. You don't have to read the word. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. You don't have to go to church. It's better for you to stay at home and rest. It's better for you to just sleep. It's better for you to do this. It's better for you to do that. And guess what? None of those things will ever work towards helping us grow. Those things are, are hindrances in the race. But if we're going to run the race to win... And be faithful. We must be disciplined. We must make our our bodies and our minds our slaves. 
And when they resist, we don't shadow box, but we punch it in the eye and say, no, this is what we are going to do. My alarm clock has said at this time, I said we're getting up to read the word this morning, not staying in bed longer. We're going to go here and we're going to do this. We're going to listen to this. We're going to read this book. I said we're going to do this. And when the flesh says, no, we're not, you tell it to be quiet. Make it your slave. Don't be a slave to it. And we're going to read the word when our bodies and our minds says, no, we're not. And we're going to pray when our bodies and our minds says, no, don't pray. And we're going to fellowship with, with, with other believers when our, when our body and our minds say, I'd rather be in isolation right now. And we're going to come to church even in the evening service to hear the word of God preach when, when my body says, I could, I could take another nap. We're going to resist sin when our body says, but it's so pleasurable and it feels so good. We're going to share the gospel with others. When our, when our flesh says, that would be embarrassing, don't do it. We're going to work as unto the Lord when our flesh says, the boss is not around, so just do what you want until he comes back. We're going to be obedient when we don't feel like it. This is what it means to, to make our bodies our slaves, to, to hit our flesh in the eye, as it were. We, we must not be subject to our flesh, but, but punch our flesh, make it slaves for Christ. This is the only way to faithfully run the race, to bring our flesh into subjection. And notice the, the final thing Paul says here, after giving us himself as an example. Paul says, this is what I do. This is what I do. I, I do this. Why? Lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. He, he's saying that he does, he, he, he does those things in order that he can faithfully run the way he tells others to do so. Lest he be a hypocrite. Paul can't go around preaching the gospel and preaching obedience to Christ, saying, teaching others to obey all that Christ commands while he refuses to obey what Christ commands. Why? Because he won't bring his flesh into subjection and he's not running the race with, with a mission, with a goal in mind. He's just cruising along. That's not what Paul taught. So here what he's saying, this is what I do. Why? Lest I disqualify myself. Calvin says, my life ought to be a kind of rule to others. Accordingly, I, I strive to conduct myself in such a manner that my character and conduct may not be inconsistent with my doctrine, and that thus I may not, with great disgrace to myself and a grievous occasion of offense to my brethren, neglect those things which I require from others. Dear friends, if we are not punching our flesh in the eye and making it our slaves, we will not run faithfully. And how sad is it 
for us to tell others about the transforming power of Jesus and then live as hypocrites who have not been transformed. Paul's concerned about this. He, he does all for the sake of the gospel. This means living my life in such a way that I am not a hindrance to the message that I proclaim. If we're going to do that, if we're going to be faithful, this is what it takes. If we're going to be good witnesses, living consistent with our doctrine, this is what it takes. We, we can, listen, we can no longer sit around idly just seeing what happens in life, just seeing if I have time to read my Bible today. Am I going to read the Word tomorrow and meditate on the Word and pray tomorrow? I don't know. I'll see what happens. Maybe. I might. I might not. I don't know. If you're not planning on it, you won't do it. If you don't make yourself do it, you're not going to do it with any type of consistency. Here's the danger in this. If we are not disciplined in this way, we are going to run the risk, the risk of being hypocrites. Not doing what we require from others with our teaching. And if this sounds odd to you today, because you don't know Christ, you need to understand what Christ has done for us. He has redeemed us from our sins. He, he lived his life with a mission and died with a mission in mind. Listen, he lived perfectly in obedience to, to the Father and then died a death in our place. Why? To redeem us. Is that not worth us living for? Should that not motivate us? Should that not drive us? I, I close with this question. How are we living? Be, be, be honest with yourself. Are you living the Christian life right now? Running the race to win the prize? Or are you coasting, hoping that you grow somehow? You're just hoping that it happens. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Are, are you coasting through life as though you have no purpose? Are you running with uncertainty? Are you running as though there's no, there's no race taking place? Are you running as though there's no prize? Or are you running the race to win? This is what Paul commands us to do. Run as to win. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for saving us and allowing us to enter into the race. And we do ask that you would help us to be faithful in running. That we would not just leave our Christian lives up to what we call chance. 
that we would not be found to be unfaithfully just coasting through life as with no purpose and no mission. But that we would run the race as to win. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be disciplined. Help us to seek after Christ, to to seek to be conformed to the image of Christ. Help us to to seek to be obedient to, to all that Christ commands. Help us to be faithful in telling others about Christ. Help us to stay on track. To to recognize that the world, the flesh, and the devil are our opponents in our Christian walk. And and they want us to stop. They want us to turn back. They want us to go off track. Help us to recognize these opponents and fight them, resist them, and, and flee. That we would remain faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.